This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome into Shot and Vip, a podcast brought to you by Inside Carolina this football season by our friends over at Johnny T-Shirt. Co-hosting this, I'm Taylor Vipolis, and as always, I'm joined by my fellow Carolina football letterman and teammate, Jeff Schottmer. Carolina underdogs for the first time all season, uh, a seven and a half point underdog at Death Valley against Clemson. Carolina had their opportunities. They lose 31 to 20, falling to eight and three now on the season. Initial thoughts. The biggest thing with me was in this match, I mean, on paper, there's not a huge discrepancy in talent between the two rosters. I mean, this is as evenly matched as a Clemson-North Carolina game as we had in the last 10 to 15 years. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm disappointed in the loss, but more disappointed that we really didn't have a chance to win it. You know, we there wasn't a drive at the end of the game where Drake May could, could have let us down to kick a field goal or uh, score a go-ahead touchdown to win the game. You know, it was kind of the game was out of hand in the fourth quarter, and and that's what bothered me is, it was similar to, to last year's game in terms of, you know, they in the AC championship where they beat us by a good margin. But this game, I totally expected us to be very competitive all the way down to the end or, or even have a chance to win it. And for us to be down, you know, 17 in the fourth quarter um, and not really have a puncher's chance to win is, is what hurt me the most is, you know, for the last two, three years, we've been talking about how much talent we're accumulating and, how much talent we have on our roster and then we don't do anything with it. You know, we, it's a very similar feeling to last year. And honestly, the last couple of years where we started out strong and um, then faded away towards the end of the season. And the great teams are the, are the teams that get better as the season go, goes on. And, and this year we look like a team that we peaked mid season and now we're, we're slowly on a decline and, it's, it's frustrating because, like, you look at a team like Georgia and they, they kind of stumble early on and don't play their best, but as the season progresses, they get better and better each week. And for us, the last couple of weeks, we we kind of have degressed, and, and that's not the sign of a good football team. So I guess the overall takeaway is disappointment, as it has been the last couple of weeks, other than obviously the Duke game. But um, 
just us with the talent level we have at the roster, you know, Drake may being the special talent he is um, just for us not to even have a chance to win the game at the end of the game is, is really the most disappointing thing for me. Yeah. And this game mirrored the, the ACC championship game against Clemson last year, where North Carolina had their opportunities. And the, if you're just looking at the numbers and what each team did, the, the, the final score really doesn't tell the full story because in that first half, North Carolina had opportunities to go up, you know, 21 nothing and put this Clemson team on the ropes where I, I thought watching this Clemson team, you know, we talk about closing the gap between North Carolina and the Clemsons, but this is, this is as gettable Clemson team as, as there's going to be. Their quarterback, Kate Klubnick, it, it looks like they're trying to hide him for a lot of what what they're doing offensively it, it doesn't look like there's a ton of trust there and to not take advantage of some of the opportunities that this North Carolina team had and put Clemson on their back foot and and trying to play catch up and keeping them in this game when you're like man North Carolina should be up 21 nothing at half and instead they're down 14-7 and with Clemson getting the ball it, it just never felt like North Carolina was was really in it, even though they had opportunities to to put Clemson away and um, really take the crowd out of it in Death Valley. And that was that was my first time in, in Death Valley because I wasn't on the travel squad when when you guys played them in, in 2014. And taking that crowd out of the game and you know putting that doubt in, in Clemson sidelines head like. They, they never really had that because Clemson was the ones making making all the energy plays and, and they were feeding off their crowd. And yeah, it's it's disappointing because I think one of the things we make fun of the Miami team for is that they're front runners where they'll they'll start a season off good. And the second a, a little bit of adversity hits them, their season kind of spirals out of control. And this past these past couple of years, North Carolina has had a lot of those tendencies where they're ranked inside the top 10. Everybody in the fan base is so excited. And they they lose a game that they're not supposed to, and the the bottom falls out of the team completely. What would you say was the difference in this in this North Carolina Clemson game? I mean, if, if you look at the stats, they're damn near identical. You know, the passing yards, the rushing yards, third down, fourth down conversion percentage, you know, even the special teams, the punting. You know, our punter did a great job. Our punt return units were even, you know, even penalties. It was, I think, you know, we had two more penalties than, than Clemson. But the difference, obviously, in the game, everyone knows, is the two fumbles, you know, and, and we'll get to that later in the pod. But um, I think the biggest thing was Clemson's D-line was affecting Drake way more than our D-line was affecting um, Klubnik. And then the coaching decision before the half was was a huge pivotal turning point in the game to me. So, you know, Clemson has obviously recruited very, very well the last couple of years, and they're known for their D-line, um, you know, elite secondary play. But, you know, their ability to rush for and affect Drake, you know, Drake was bothered all night. He didn't look – you know, he had flashes of really good play, and he made some plays with his legs. But the whole night he was rushed. He was, he was under duress, and um, that completely affected our – our team and then obviously the coaching decision right before the half for us to to play a, a pretty good first half and for us to you know be in the position we were tied 
with the ball um, after two catastrophic turnovers in, in, you know, inside the 10 yard line. And for us to go into half with either a lead or, you know, be tied was, was a huge momentum swing in the game. And, you know, that was, that was the difference. So um, we'll, we'll get into that, but um, you know, I can't underestimate how, how big that coaching decision was for us to, you know, give them the ball back. And I know there was a, a, a bad turn or a bad penalty that on Klubnik's interception, but um, that our, our defense nev- never should have been in that situation. So uh, that that's the difference in the game. It was Clemson's D line to me. Obviously I stated that the two turnovers, everyone, you don't even have to know football to understand those, you know, those two turnovers by Hampton completely changed the dynamic of the game. But um, you know, our coaching did not, you know, do anything stellar to help us win this game. Yeah, not only did the coaching staff not do anything stellar to help Carolina win this game, it feels like it's the complete opposite where where they're putting players in, in bad spots and they're they're costing this North Carolina team or, or putting this North Carolina team in a hole and and it's the players that are having to try to dig out of it. And I, I think some of that is a, a two-sided coin where Yes, there's there's times where the players are in the right positions and, and we'll we'll talk about that later and they're just not making plays. But there's also the the irrefutable part of it where the the clock management and, and some of the the choices that this North Carolina staff makes time and time again is, is costing them um, a, a lot of points and a lot of situations. And we'll we'll get into that more, but sticking with the the offense. Some good, some bad. Starting with the bad, you you mentioned the D line for Clemson. A lot of times they're rushing four. Carolina has five in protection, or Clemson rushes five and North Carolina has six in protection. But that offensive line just looks so overwhelmed every time teams bring pressure. NC State is another team that's going to bring a lot of pressure with it with a strong defensive front. What are you kind of seeing up front with this North Carolina team and, and just the the bad that you're getting from this North Carolina offense, especially in this Clemson game? It's kind of ironic because the strength of our offensive line all year has been the pass protection. I think we've been better at uh, protecting than than running the ball. Obviously, I mean, we have Hampton who is who makes up for a lot, but uh, let's start with the good, I guess. So our ability to run the ball, I, I thought they did a good job in, in – how they kind of knocked Clemson off the ball a little bit at times and opened up holes for Hampton to run. And yes, he did run through the linebackers and the safeties and outran the the post safety a bunch. But um, you know, our ability to run for you know 250 yards against a, a good Clemson defense is something to to you know pat ourselves on the back with. Uh, and I know I know they only had a few sacks. I think they had four, and and maybe two of them Drake. Could have gotten the ball out, but um, you know they ended up hurting us in the long run of, of Drake and our our pass protection kind of breaking down. Um, and then you know what's most obvious is the two turnovers we had. You know Drake had an interception at the end, but I don't. The game was kind of out of hand at that point. Um, obviously, the, the the two turnovers by Hampton were were catastrophic. And I think as we dive into it, the first one was just an elite play by the, uh, the Clemson defender. I mean, that, Wiggins, that play, yeah. yeah, by Wiggins. I mean, he's a first round draft pick and that play is going to be 
shown on every draft highlight of his. It's going to be shown in an effort tape of every defend, uh, defensive team going forward. You know, just his ability to not get up in the play. And he, he totally transformed the game. You know, we were about to take a 14 to nothing lead and um, him knocking the ball out just last last ditch effort play of he was you know at least five yards behind Hampton showed elite speed of him being able to uh, track Hampton down and, and find the ball and punch it out an easy play to line. give up on easy such an easy play to give up he, I mean he was getting blocked by the receiver and he wasn't even the main point of contact on the play and um I don't even I don't even I don't know what you tell Hampton in that situation you know like he is outrunning the closest defender to him. He's on the sideline. Like he's got the ball high and tight. Like that's just an elite play by the Clemson defense. And Hampton, I think on both fumbles, Hampton, he truly like it wasn't a bad fumble in my eyes. I mean, if you look at the the fumble where he got hit on the seven yard line, like Willie Lampkin, if you go back and watch that play, he is pile drive three yards in the backfield. Hampton has to jump cut and make a catastrophic, you know, change of direction play. And he kind of like changes the ball from his right to his left to avoid the defensive lineman. And I don't think he ever had a good grasp on the ball. So both of those plays, I, I truly think they're just really good and unlucky plays on our part. But, you know, they ended up having a huge, huge impact on the game. I, I think the bigger play is the, um, you know, us getting down to the two-yard line and us false starting on – you know, first and goal from the two-yard line. You know, the, the next play we get up there, we, we try to run it quick, and I think our left guard or left tackle jumps off sides, and, and now we, we get the ball back to the seven. You know, if, if you have four plays from the two-yard line, I think we have a pretty good chance of getting that ball in the end zone. So I think that's an underrated play of the game that that kind of spiraled and, and caused the, the turnover on the next play. Um so, yeah, it was a mix of good and bad. I mean, Drake looked, like I said, he looked under duress all night. Um, I don't think our receivers did a great job of getting open. Um, but, you know, us us having the ability to hand the ball to Hampton and him making really, really talented linebackers look average. You know, uh, the, the two guys that got are going to both get drafted in the first three rounds next year. Obviously, they have an elite D-line. They have secondary that's going to play in the NFL, and he made all of them look silly. So. Uh, we have a special talent at running back and him him being able to outrun the secondary up until them punching the ball out was was just it was a sight to see. I mean, yes, he had two turnovers, but he he had an elite game and he showed you know his worth that he should be offered a lot of money next year to, to come join someone else's program. If, if so. Yeah, the, you mentioned the wide receivers. I, I thought everybody outside of Tez Walker struggled to to create separation uh there were there were a few plays where tez probably should have drawn a flag but the refs were, were letting them play and, and clemson in that atmosphere with the with the crowd behind them and, and the refs behind the crowd uh they were letting them play and you know they weren't calling them on north carolina they weren't calling them on clemson and clemson really took that as as a challenge and pressed North Carolina and banked on their pressure getting home and disrupting Drake May before North Carolina could create some separation. Although there were a few times where where Drake um, escaped pressure and the receivers they should be you know running that like scramble drill and trying to find space and 
there were a few times where I'm watching from the press box and, and it just looked like receivers were kind of giving up on, on the play. And you mentioned, you mentioned the Omar and Hampton two fumbles. I, I think it's, it's something you almost have to live with. If you're North Carolina, he's, he's had 200 plus carries going into that game without a fumble. He has two fumbles in his first seven snaps. It's just the way, the way the ball kind of bounced that game, nothing that he really did or, or, at fault for him. Um, you'd obviously love if he doesn't fumble inside the 10 twice in, in that kind of environment. But I, I saw fans being like, after the second fumble being like, you have to sit him. You have to sit him. You, you don't, you don't sit the best running back in the country because of, because of two fumbles. And I, I was encouraged by, by North Carolina showing that confidence in him where he finishes with 178 rushing yards two touchdowns averaging 9.4 yards per carry. What did hey, you he, think of he, the he, decision? He proved, he proved his worth with the touchdown he had in the third quarter. Yes. Like there are very few running backs in the country that first of all, break tackles of those Clemson linebackers and then outrun both the corner and the post safety who have an angle on them. So Amari Hampton was not our issue. Yeah. He had two catastrophic plays that, like I said, they were really good plays by Clemson's defense, but, you know, credit to our coaching staff. That was probably the best decision they made all day and keep feeding him the rock because he he was making people look silly, running through tackles and running around people. So uh, I, I was glad to see him, you know, stay in the game because he was not he was not the issue. Yeah, and going into this this back stretch of the season, he's pretty sure he's tied with Ollie Gordon from Oklahoma State for most rushing yards in the country. And Gordon's probably gonna have the the advantage of playing in in the conference championship game most likely if Oklahoma State makes it to verse Texas. So Gordon's going to have a, a game advantage on him. But the fact that we're even talking about a North Carolina running back being in, in the rushing title conversation is, is impressive and shows that Hampton is playing at an All-American level um, despite the, the the two fumbles that, that really set back the North Carolina team against Clemson. Uh, but before we talk about the defense, let me remind everybody about our friends at Johnny T-Shirt. You could visit them on Franklin Street or on JohnnyT-Shirt.com. And they have everything that you could possibly want for the Carolina fan as we get closer to the holiday season, the basketball season, the end of the football season. They have the jerseys, the T-Shirts, the hats. It's getting colder. They have the cold gear. Go shop at Johnny T-Shirt. It's great people and great customer service. And don't forget, Inside Carolina premium subscribers save 10% off their orders. All right, shot the the defense. Some people said the defense played good enough to win. Some people said, you know, it, it's more of the same at times with the defense. What were your kind of thoughts with, with the defense in, uh, in regards to this Clemson game? I mean, let's start with the good. I, I think – they kind of they kind of are who they are and who they've shown the last couple of games is they they go through periods of the game where they play really well they're locked in they can get three and outs they can get stops when needed um, but then there's also stretches of the game where they look like they aren't focused they forget how to tackle they forget how to run to the ball uh, they they blow assignments they blow coverages so it's just like it's a hot and cold defense and um, we still haven't figured out how, how to put a complete to get complete game together other than the South Carolina game. Um, the bad was just 
you know, not being able to respond when the offense goes down and scores. You know, there, there was a period in the third quarter where Clemson's up 21 to seven. Our offense goes down and scores to cut the game to 21 14. So, okay, what do you expect from our defense? We, we need the biggest, best drive of the game from them. We need them to uh, go out and, and get, the, get Clemson to punt or make them have a long drive or hold them to a field goal. And what do they do the first play that, you know, Will Shipley goes for 35 yards because of our defensive tackle can't stay in the right gap. And uh, that's just like a microcosm of our defense for the whole year is just, you know, death by a thousand paper cuts. They, they make one mistake and then that mistake builds off the next. And, you know, now we look up and Clemson's running the ball in the end zone and now they're up 21 to seven, despite what they did the last, you know, couple of drives where they, you know, force three and outs and force punts. Um, and the other thing that I noticed was just we had so many missed tackles from unblocked defenders once again. And this was the same thing in the Duke game where we had guys that were unblocked that would meet Clemson's running back in the hole or five yards downfield, and we were unable to bring them down. And, you know, that showed up again and again. You know, you know even our best players trying to tackle Shipley, we couldn't get it done. And we saw it from everybody. We saw it from Rucker. We saw it from Cedric Gray. We saw it from Power Eccles. Uh, we saw it from Stick Lane, Chapman. I mean, everyone's to blame. It wasn't just one or two guys. It was, you know, five or six, seven guys in our defense that could not bring down uh, Clemson's, Clemson's skill guys. And uh, I think that was, you know, ultimately the difference in the game. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must-listen. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found. Yeah, watching watching that game, I remember thinking, I can't wait to see the final numbers for how many missed tackles Carolina had because it felt like it was going to be a season high. They missed 16, 16 tackles. It was a lot of, of flat-footed defenders where Mafa, Shipley, and Klubnik were were kind of the ones initiating the contact or, or seeking out the contact, and it was North Carolina being, in the, you know, the ones reacting instead of the ones initiating. And it's it's been a problem where where teams are saying, "Hey, you guys aren't going to be as physical as us," and then the team not responding to the challenge. And you, you talk to Mac Brown. One of the problems that I have with with this coaching staff is in the press conferences, they're like. Yeah, the defense, they get tired. We have to play more players. And then Saturday comes along and everybody's snap count is in the high 40s, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, where it it doesn't even feel like they're they're building depth. It doesn't feel like they're 
there's any trust in in the players behind it and they just keep rolling out the same defense and that that kind of brought one of the the next points that I was going to bring up the the safeties the safeties look like they're being targeted every play it's something we've talked about um a lot on this podcast and, and there was one penalty where just just talking about that accountability and having depth and trusting the guys behind you there was one penalty that I remember thinking where Carolina kept having these self-inflicted penalties there was the horse collar tackle um from from a D lineman where it races what would have been a third and long keeps Clemson in a more second and manageable but the other one was um Chapman gets a unnecessary roughness penalty where he suplexes a wide receiver from your experience watching football how many teams in the country do you think take takes that player out where North Carolina keeps them in the game he he misses a tackle on on one of the following plays and you know it 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 just doesn't seem like there's any like repercussions for if you have one of these really bad plays because North Carolina, it, it, they're just going to keep rolling you out and, and they're just going to keep playing. Well, I'll say I hate that rule as a defender, you know, as in having played defense, I think a tackle is a tackle and regardless if you suplex them or get a, get a warm tackle, it's the same thing. In my opinion, we've kind of lost the art of physicality in football. So I get it. The rules are the rules and, our safeties should not suplex guys to the ground, but um, you know, Don knew right then, I think he kind of laid off after he threw him, but um, to your point, yeah. Like if, if, if that happens and you have a, you know, big penalty and a, an important drive, you know, most teams do take off, you know, that player from the field and sub in somebody else to kind of like sit him down and learn his lesson. But um, yeah, I think I think Don's played a lot of football and, and our coaches, you know, think that he's the best guy, you know, t- to, you know, make the calls and make the checks and, and ultimately do his job. So uh, it, it was a key situation in the game and in, in late in the first half. And I, I guess it didn't end up hurting us because they ended up fumbling on that drive. But to your point, um, yeah, most most teams have enough depth where they can, you know, take off that player and, and plug in somebody else and kind of like, Hey, you got to sit on the bench and, and watch because you, you really hurt our team in that, in that instance. But um, yeah, look, look, that wasn't the, uh, you know, that, that didn't make a huge impact on the game, but yeah, it was a, a critical penalty in a, in a situation. And um, yeah. Yeah. It's more of a, a, a trend with this team where, you know, people talk about, the the players not having accountability and they're playing such a high snap count number and there there is that disconnect between the the starters playing a lot on, on defense and the defense kind of falling apart late and there's just no trust in playing depth even though that every press conference they say they're going to they're going to play more people and the other point that you mentioned that I wanted to bring up was not being able to respond when when the offense goes down and score because if if I tell you big moment in the game, and this is where my problem comes with the defense, big moment in the game, the defense needs to get a stop. What's your level of confidence that the defense can get a stop? Because the Duke game we saw, it, the Georgia Tech game we saw, it, the, the Clemson game we saw, it. where's your level of confidence there? It's not high at all. And the issue with that is like at, at key moments in the game, whether you're on offense, defense, and special teams, you should have – your best play calls where 
you think that that side of the ball can um, execute at the highest level. And when we're, you know, when we score to cut the lead to 20, 21, uh, 14, and we know we have, we have to get a stop, you know, our, our defensive coordinator and our defensive staff should be calling the calls that, you know, but by, by this point in the game, it's the third quarter. We've seen what Clemson's Clemson's offense has shown. They've been trying to run the ball. They've had success running the ball. So, all right, let's put our best 11 in the game. Let's have our best run defense call and let's execute it at a high level. And that's not what happened. I, I mean, they went right down the field and I don't know, five, six, seven plays. I mean, it, it felt like it was in three plays. Um, and then they, they grew the lead to 14 points, but um yeah, to answer your question, it's the level of them, the level of trust in them getting a stop when we need it, it's not high right now. And when I say right now, I mean, we're 11 games into the season, so I don't I don't know, uh, you know, how we're going to fix that, but hopefully we can get it done for the NC State game. And we mentioned talking about some of the coaching errors from this North Carolina team. What did you see from, from Mac Brown and staff that kind of put North Carolina behind the eight ball? The biggest one was the one right before the half. Um, you know, in my opinion, each game is completely different. You know, you have to know the variables and, and how they change constantly as the game goes along. And, and the point we were, you know, right before the half, we're tied seven to seven. You know, you have to know your opponent, what their strength is. So, you know, we have the ball, you know, on our 20 yard line and the strength of the Clemson defense is the pass rush and the secondary. So for us to navigate a two minute drive right before the half, you know, going 80 yards is, is we haven't shown that all day. What we've been able to do as an offense is run the ball. And that's not really what you want to do in a two minute drive. So I think for our coaching staff to understand that, you know, maybe this isn't the best time to be aggressive. It's not the same as, you know, we're, we're playing Virginia, at home or, or Duke at home. Like it's a completely different atmosphere. You have to know where you're playing. We're having a two minute drivers Clemson at Clemson. Their fans are going to be rowdy. It's going to be hard for us to get plays off. It's going to be hard for us to communicate. I think uh, you have to take into effect the result of the first play of a drive, you know, in, in any two minute situation, the first play, the drive starter is the most important play. And, and most of the time teams start with a screen draw run kind of to, to get the offense moving, to get some rhythm and what was our first play? It was a sack of eight yards. So yep. right then you have to readjust your coaching. You can't just, you know, run the same plays that you think you were going to run if you had a, a seven-yard game. You know, it's a completely different train of thought now. You're you're on your own 15-yard line. You just it's second and 18. And you know, you're tied seven to seven. You kind of dodged a bullet because of, of how the first half has, has went to this point. And then so just for us to, to make that coaching error of calling a timeout, because at the end of the day, if we don't call a timeout, Clemson scores with two seconds to go in the first half. So that play never would have ex existed. And we go into the half seven, seven. And I know there was a lot of variables with, you know, the, the interception of club being overturned by the, by the penalty. And um, honestly, the, the thing that I was most disappointed about in club touchdown at, at you know, right before the half was it, it, it was a drop back pass and he scrambles, but he's got a spy and power echoes. And first of all, Javari Ritzy gets off a block and like goes to tackle him low, but power echoes is 
sitting there unblocked with with the opportunity to tackle Klubnik, our middle linebacker, one of our best tacklers against an opponent's quarterback, hits him at the four yard line. He spins off of him and you know gets a touchdown. With so just so many factors go into it, but just we should never have been in that situation with our with our coaching staff not calling a timeout and you know going into the half hopefully it's seven seven knowing that Clemson gets the ball so them them scoring right before the half and then get them getting the ball it's at the start of the second half is just it was kind of deflating for our whole team yeah the, the counter to that timeout would be that maybe Dabo would have taken a timeout but we really don't know what Dabo would have done in that situation because it seemed like Mac Brown raced to the official to, to get that timeout in and even if Clemson does take a timeout there North Carolina taking a timeout essentially gave Clemson a free timeout. And I don't 30 more seconds. Yeah. And I'm not even sure that Clemson would have taken a timeout there because it's a second and 18 in the back of their mind. They're, they're thinking Drake may does have this big enough arm to, to maybe make a play and get some of this yardage back, even though we do have a great pass rush and they're, they're getting the ball at half. I, I think that's another reason why maybe they don't take a timeout there. They're knowing that their defense is playing so well, they're getting the ball out of the break. Don't do anything that allows North Carolina to to get any sort of momentum back. And I think this those kind of decisions and for me for me, the cherry on top was the the two point try where the analytics are saying go for two, make an eleven point game, a nine point game. You know, that's neither here nor there. The problem that a lot of people had with that decision is the play clock's running down. They burn a timeout knowing that it's still going to be a two-score game. Whether you get the two-point conversion or not, you're going to need those timeouts back. And for me, when I'm watching this game, you know, it's I'm watching a staff that that just looks lost in in making these these choices because this is not a one-off. This is a staff that has made these kind of clock management choices time and time again. And these are the decisions that kind of sum up what what Mac Brown 2.0 has been for me, where you're looking at your quarterback, you're looking at Drake May, you're looking at Sam Howell, and you're like, not not for this Clemson game in particular, but you're looking at some of these games where North Carolina is losing, and you're like, you're essentially spotting these other teams so many points with with the opportunities, and and you're banking on Drake May or Sam Howell going going in these heroic modes, and the the part of the fan base that I kind of want to push back against on, on a notion that I've seen around social media is, you know, something the fan base has said, like Mac Brown is the the best North Carolina could do um, in terms of a head coach. And there, there's some parts where it's like, yeah, he, he deserves credit for getting Sam Howell and, and Drake may to Chapel Hill, but he also deserves blame for, for wasting those talents. And, you know, why North Carolina is in a position where five seasons with two NFL quarterbacks, we need to win out this season to get to double digits for, for the first time in that stretch. And there's, there's one conference title game appearance to show for it. And it, the, the part where it's like Mac Brown's the best North Carolina could do. It's like the, the past two, two decades of North Carolina football, we saw Butch Davis where he had the team trending upwards as, as a consistent eight win team before the NCAA mess. North Carolina wins the division twice under Fedora, where Fedora gets to uh, 11 wins. And the mindset where people are like, North Carolina can't do better than Mac Brown, it's just like a, a terrible mentality. It's the ACC. 
It's not the SEC. You're you're a school where if you have a quarterback, you'll have seven to eight wins success. That was that was the problem that Fedora ran into 2017, 2018. And, and this team really outside of the quarterback position, we're not too far off of those 2017, 2018 teams where a quarterback is, is the difference between us winning and losing. And your your coaches the past two decades have kind of proven that other people outside of Mac Brown can win here. So while while I do think Mac Brown deserves a lot of credit for for riding the ship and, and um and getting North Carolina football back on the right track and, and getting some of their relevance back, like I I just don't understand the 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 thought of North Carolina can't do better than Mac Brown. And that's not even to say like I, I want Mac Brown out. It's just it's just the fan base that I've seen where it's like they're they're just playing like this defeated like this is this is what we have to accept this is this is who we are um and, and the other thing i kind of the last thing i'll push back on is uh the fans that are saying like you just have to replace the defensive coordinator there's been very little to suggest for, from north carolina that just replacing a defensive coordinator is going to to work and and there's very little confidence in this staff finding a, a replacement for somebody like coach Chizik, who, you know, has had his success here. He's had his failures here, but we forget Mac Brown hired Greg Robinson. We, we forget Mac Brown hired Jay Bateman. We forget Mac Brown hired Gene Chizik where four, four coordinators in, in six seasons. Uh, I know Greg Robinson never, never coached a game, but you know, there, there's just very little, um, I just don't have confidence in, in the staff to just say, Hey, we, we just have to replace a coordinator. Uh, but, but let me get down from my soapbox. A- any, any thoughts there? <laughs> I just think the, the way college football is trending right now in terms of, you know, you see it all over the place with a head coach coming in for two, three seasons and even less and getting fired. I think there needs to be some sense of stability and it's not going to happen overnight. And I understand that coach Brown's been here for five years now. And, um, but the easiest thing to do is just blame the defensive coordinator or the offensive coordinator and just fire and rehire next guy and, and put all the stress on him. I think it, it starts at the top, obviously maybe Mac needs to have some uh, culture adjustments on, on how he operates because I, I think the team kind of takes the identity of the head coach and um, it starts with him. So hiring and firing offensive and defensive coordinators and special teams coordinators, at the end of the day, there's only so many like football plays you can run, so many schemes you can run. They're all pretty similar. You know, obviously different coordinators are, are better recruiters or, or um, culture builders or motivators, but um, you know, it's, it, it's a, it's a tough, there's no, I think if, um, you know, I think Bubba Cunningham is, is probably, you know, sitting back thinking, you know, what's the right decision in all of this, because, you know, one rash decision could change the the course of Carolina football for, for a couple of years, and it could have a bigger impact than what you think. So um, I personally believe if, if coach Fedora and Mac Brown and Butch Davis combined all of their strengths, then we would have a really, really good coach. I don't think we'd have Nick Saban. I don't think we'd have Kirby Smart, but I think if you could draw from, you know, pick, you know, uh, Mac Brown's 
you know, charismatic recruiting nature and Butch Butch Davis's, you know, defensive philosophy and Coach Fedora's special teams mindset and offensive, you know, prowess, then I think you'd have a really good coach. So, you know, I know that's not realistic, but that's kind of I think that's called Nick Saban. I I don't think it's (laughs) Nick Saban or Kirby Smart. I think there's still a level above that. But I think each of those coaches had their strengths, but um, and weaknesses, obviously. And, um, you know, I, I'm not one to, to call for someone's head about getting them fired because they've obviously, you know, have their have their strengths. And we have made a transformation under under Coach Brown. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's a production business and we haven't had a 10 win season since he's been back. And, um, you know, that's something we can still accomplish. And, you know, glass half full guy over here, I'm going to say we can beat state win a bowl game and get to 10 wins our first 10 win season since 2015 so um yeah that that's how i'm gonna leave that before we wrap up this episode big shout out to our friends at congruity congruity is a north carolina based national coverage local presence company with personal support straight from the tar heel state they are empowering small and mid-sized business owners with hr and payroll outsourcing enabling you to grow your business while they take care of your greatest assets your people and they are doing it with top-of-the-line technology and services for every stage of your business's growth with a state-of-the-art online platform. And they are obsessed with customer service. They become part of your team. They do the heavy lifting, providing essential admin support with a single point of contact and support available on demand with services that are tailor-made, transforming your organization. Congruity has helped hundreds of businesses improve and enhance their day-to-day lives, level up your HR capabilities, save money, unlock game-changing growth. Visit congruityhr.com backslash Tar Heels to learn more about Congruity. Fill out a quick form to be connected to their consultants, and they'll give Inside Carolina listeners and viewers a payroll and HR assessment for free. That's congruityhr.com backslash Tar Heels. Shot. The, the way Congruity makes it easier for businesses. We're, we're trying to make gambling easier. We were coming off a 2-0 week. Uh, you got cocky, you picked Washington, and then you also picked Carolina plus seven and a half. So you split one and one. Your your record's four and four on the year. I took Iowa minus four. I knew it was going to be a hold your nose type bet. Iowa wins by two. I saw at one point in that game it was it was two nothing. Um but but it's it's one I'm going back to the drawing board trying to get the people a winner. I will start. I, I'm going Michigan. Minus four in the big game against Ohio State. Um, I'm not too worried about if if Harbaugh is there or not. A lot of noise in the Michigan program, but just watching them, I, I feel like they're they're a more consistent team than this Ohio State team. And Michigan is at home. I trust Michigan a, a bit more than Ohio State. Who Ohio State seems like they're they're heavily reliant on. Uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. to to bail out their offense at times. So I'm going Michigan minus four to get back on my win streak. Where are you going? I like that pick. Uh, I'm going to go elsewhere. I'm going to go recency bias. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get cocky again and do two more picks. I'm going to start with UNC. You know, we're two-point favorites against State. Uh, I think we win this game and get to nine wins. Um and then I'm going to go with Clemson minus seven over South Carolina. I think uh, Clemson's kind of turned the corner the last couple of weeks and they look like a legit football team now. So 
South Carolina, obviously, we both, it's a common opponent. We played them, and uh, I think Clemson's just way more talented, and you know they got some them p- some payback to do from last year's game at Clemson. So I'm going Clemson to cover seven points, and I'm going UNC to cover two. We will see about that North Carolina NC State game. It's an 8 p.m. kickoff from Carter Finley. We'll be back next week to break it all down. Shotman, appreciate the time as always and appreciate everybody watching and listening. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bad. Do-average 29 and 11. God, what it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Forward, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing.